Greetings, dear listeners, and welcome to Reformed Meditations, a podcast where we seek to fill our minds with the Word of God rather than emptying them. I'm Lee, and I'm glad to be back with you again. Uh, I said to myself the other day, self, it's been a while since we were in Hebrews. Uh, We've been spending all this time airing grievances, and we will do it again. But for this time, we're going back to Hebrews 2. So if you haven't checked out the earlier episodes in the Hebrews series, uh, do go and look through the podcast feed. Um, There have been a few already. In fact, I can't remember how many, but uh, they're numbered, so they're easy to find. Uh, I hope you all had a wonderful Christmas and looking forward to uh, a happy new year. I certainly did and am, uh, and I'm happy now to get back to looking at a portion of Hebrews 2 with you all. So let's turn, uh, if you're in a stationary place, to turn in your Bible. If you're driving, please don't turn anywhere except the turns that you're supposed to be making on whatever route you're driving. Uh, You can just listen. I will read it to you. We're going to look today Hebrews 2, verses 9 through 13. And I hope this isn't an hour long, because knowing me, it could go that way. So I'm trying very hard to restrain myself. I have now turned in my beautiful new Legacy Standard Bible uh, that I'm really enjoying reading. I recently embarked on a 90-day Bible reading plan. I didn't realize I was this crazy, but I guess I am. And uh, so I'm almost through Leviticus at this moment. And uh, man, I am really enjoying the Legacy Standard Bible. So I have not been paid to say any of this. This is a true personal opinion. But man, I am enjoying this quite a bit. All right, Hebrews 2 verses 9 through 13. But we do see him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies And those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will recount your name to my brothers. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, behold, I and the children whom God has given me. All right, so if you remember from the previous episodes, and if you didn't hear them, go back and take a listen, because we're in the logic of this sermon, uh, which is what the book of Hebrews is, we're building on the previous revelation that Jesus is not an angel. He's not a mere created being. He is divine. He is Yahweh. He is equal with God the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So he is very much above the angels. But here we're being told very plainly that he was for a little while made lower than the angels, meaning that he became man, right? Mankind is very much lower than the angels. But it was for a little while. So the purpose was for Jesus, who is uncreated and co-eternal with the Father and the Spirit, to be born in the flesh, which is 
the the wonder and miracle of that is is what we've celebrated over Christmas to live as a man and do ministry on the earth to die the death that sinners should have died and rise again to give us the hope that we too will rise in him and then to promise to return for the full consummation of the plan of salvation in the redemption of all things. So in this verse, we see that because of his suffering of death, now note that's not because of his righteous life, even though he lived righteously in the flesh, not because of his ascension, even though that was something that only he could do. He's the only person who has truly been resurrected and ascended. You know, Lazarus was resuscitated, but he died again after he died and was raised by Christ in a, in a remarkable sign. He's not like Elijah who was taken up to heaven but didn't die physically. Jesus actually died physically, was raised to life, and then ascended to heaven never to die again. That's truly unique. But that's not what we're talking about here. Because of his suffering of death was crowned with glory and honor so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Jesus is our substitute. He died in our place. Those of us who've put our faith in him have repented of our sins and believed in him that he would forgive us our sins. He has already tasted death in the ultimate sense for you and for me. But we need to recognize here as well that Jesus wasn't crowned with glory and honor as if he never had glory and honor before. He certainly did. I mean, for all of eternity, he is glorious and worthy of honor because he is God. So we're talking about something differently. We're talking about uh, he's crowned this way in regards to a role that he plays, and he he is our mediator. This is something that we're going to see more of as we get deeper into Hebrews. He's the mediator between God and man. And unlike previous mediators in Scripture, I'm thinking of the priesthood from the Old Testament, he goes above and beyond what any human mediator could do in that he not only is the high priest, but he is the sacrifice by which people are freed from their sins. There's no high priest who ever could have done that, or ever would have done that. No one would have ever been worthy to be both high priest and the sacrifice, except for Jesus. And so in being that sacrifice, in suffering death on the cross with all of the shame and the physical agony, but also the spiritual agony of carrying all of the sins of all his elect in all times, right? that's what we're talking about here in this verse when he says that he might taste death for everyone, for every one of his elect. It's not a universalist proof text as it's used sometimes. But doing that work comes with honor and glory. That is an achievement that only Christ could ever achieve. Jesus is worth all honor and glory that we could ascribe to him, even if he hadn't come in the flesh and been our mediator, because he is God. The Father is God and the Holy Spirit is God. Even if God had never ordained salvation for anyone and that every person 
whoever existed, would go straight to their just punishment, God would still be worthy of all honor and glory that could be given to him, and more. But we have the opportunity, we have the privilege, and also the duty to worship Christ and to be grateful to him for his work on our behalf on the cross in his life, his death, resurrection, and ascension, and his session at the right hand of God the Father, that this is glory and honor specific to that work as our mediator, as our substitute before God as a sacrifice. So I hope that makes sense. We're not, Paul's not saying, and good teachers, I'm not saying that people wouldn't say this, but good teachers would not say that this is some new thing that made Jesus more worthy than he already was. No, we're just saying this is glory and honor that's specific to that role that Jesus plays as our substitute, as our great high priest, as the sacrifice, the one sufficient sacrifice for all the sins of all the elect for all time. Because as we move into verse 10, it was fitting for him to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. So again, not saying that Jesus was imperfect in any way. Absolutely not. If he were imperfect, he couldn't be our substitute. He couldn't be our great high priest. He would be just like any other priest. He would have been a sinful man trying to overcome his sin, having to sacrifice for himself first before he could minister to anyone else. Absolutely, Jesus is perfect and was perfect when he walked on this earth in the flesh during his ministry. But we're saying that his perfection was proved through his sufferings. And the covenant of redemption set all this forth before the foundation of the world, that Jesus would come to earth and do the ministry that is recorded for us in Scripture on behalf of his people, that he would live righteously and die and be resurrected. And it was altogether fitting for him to do that, which I openly admit is an extraordinary thing to say, because again, back to verse 10, it was fitting for him for whom are all things and through whom are all things. This is God we're talking about. Everything in creation ultimately is for God's glory, for whom are all things. And through whom are all things? So remember, uh, in John 1, we see that all things were created through Christ. Uh, let Turn, uh, if you're in a place to turn in your Bible, to Romans 5, 2. I want to show a few things that we get through Christ. So Romans 5, 2, speaking of the Lord, our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we boast in hope of the glory of God. So through Christ, we have our introduction by faith to the grace of God. Grace comes through Jesus Christ. There is no other way to receive grace from God. We have to repent of our sins and believe in Christ, which itself is a gift of grace for us even to come to that point. And in fact, we are the inheritors of so many great and wonderful promises from God, uh, which we see in 2 Corinthians 1.20. 
which reads, For as many as are the promises of God, in him, in Christ, they are yes. Therefore also through him is our amen to the glory of God through us. So we have all these promises from God for us, and the only reason that they are a yes to us, that they are promises we can claim, is only through Christ. All the promises of God come to his people through Christ, and only Christ, Christ alone. In Christ alone, by faith alone, is how we receive our salvation by his grace. And not only do we receive these blessings and promises through Christ, but it's only through Christ we can give our praises to God. Our amens to God are only possible through the grace of Jesus Christ. Flip over a few pages to 2 Corinthians 5.18, and it says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So there's the heart of the gospel right there. Through Christ, in being saved, we are reconciled to God. We have a newly forged relationship with our Creator through the blood of Jesus Christ. And because of that, not only are we reconciled to God, but that same gospel gives us the tools to be reconciled to our fellow man. So again, through Christ, we have a repaired relationship with God, which is what he intended from the very beginning with Adam. But Adam fell, so in Christ, we can return to that state of blissful union with our Creator and also engage in the ministry of reconciliation with mankind around us. Continuing in that theme, we have Colossians 1.20, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, whether things on earth or things in heaven. So again, we have that theme of reconciliation, repairing that relationship only through Christ, no other way, no other um, philosophy, uh, worldly wisdom, um, perhaps even an analytical tool. <laughs> it, the only way to reconcile both with God and with our fellow man is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, empowered by his blood. And so what's the goal of all this? Well, ultimately, the goal is to bring glory to God, after all, right? The, the, the whole purpose of the Christian life is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But there's a specific goal that this verse mentions, which is absolutely part of that, and it's, it's this phrase, bringing many sons to glory. So ultimately, or, or part of the ultimate purpose of showing Christ as the perfect author of our salvation through his sufferings, right? We've been speaking about his sufferings, is to bring many sons to glory. It's the actual salvation of human souls, men and women, throughout history. All of that is to the glory of God, right? The whole purpose of mankind, despite what people's favorite prosperity preachers might say, the goal of salvation isn't to make you better. Obviously, that happens, right? The The life of sanctification is to make us more and more into the image of Christ as we follow him and worship him. But the goal of the Christian life is to glorify God, right? He's the one who has forgiven our sins, has promised us an inheritance with the saints, has given us the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit indwelling each and every believer, and all of this results in a life of praise within the Christian. 
within the church as Christians gather, especially on the Lord's Day, but even informally at other times for different reasons to build each other up. We build each other up by praising God and giving Him glory. And one of the greatest ways to do that is to lift up the absolute sovereignty of God and His all-encompassing power to save our souls and keep us until the last day. So again, to go back to the beginning of, of verse 10, it was fitting for Jesus to do this. That doesn't mean it was fair. It doesn't mean that we deserved it. It doesn't mean that we merited it. It was fitting to do this because it accords with the glory of God, and it was in his will to do this incredible work in bringing many sons and daughters to glory. Now, a word on perfecting the author of salvation through suffering. Again, I I just want to make this perfectly clear. We're not saying that Jesus was imperfect, but that his endurance through his suffering And not merely the physical suffering, but the spiritual suffering throughout his ministry, but especially on the cross when the weight of of all of the elect's people's sin hung on his shoulders, proved him to be the perfect mediator between God and man. So that he was not proved through debates, you know, as a master orator uh, or debater of theology, although he certainly was that. We can see in the Gospels his many dialogues with the Pharisees uh, and the Sadducees and and other groups and how he would absolutely dominate them in a biblical argument. But that's not what proved his perfection as the author of salvation. Neither was his transfiguration or other glorious incidents during his earthly ministry. Although those instances where he showed his glory— are precious, and we can learn a lot from them. But according to Scripture, these are not the proofs of his perfection as our substitute. It was the substitutionary atonement, the shedding of blood. By that, we receive the double imputation. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean that in our salvation, not only are our sins placed on Christ and he removes them from us, So our sins are imputed to him, they're given to him, and he deals with them. Mainly he makes them go away. (laughs) Uh, They're forgiven. But also his righteousness is imputed to us, is is given to us. Uh, Just like with Abraham, that he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That same imputation of righteousness to the unrighteous person is what Christ has done for us in the ultimate sense. That is done as a result of the cross through his sufferings, right? He suffered in taking on our sins and in his triumph over those sufferings, in his righteousness, he has credited that very righteousness to us so that we live because he lives, and that we are incapable in and of ourselves of doing what is pleasing to God. So his good works, his perfection has to be credited to us so that we can be righteous only because his righteousness is given to us. And going on to verse 11, we see 
that both he who sanctifies, that's Christ, and those who are being sanctified, that's us, we who've believed in Christ, are all of one. And this one has a capital O, right? We are from one Father. Now, this is, again, another remarkable thing to say. Because, after all, Jesus is God, and we are not. He was made for a little while lower than the angels, but he's very much higher than the angels, even at this moment, in heaven. So how can we say that we are of one? Well, that's because not only do we have the righteousness of Christ credited to us who are unrighteous by our nature, but we've been made a new creation as the result of Christ's work, but we are adopted as well. So this is a, a statement of adoption. There's a reason we use the phrase born again when we speak of someone being saved. Not only does it come out of John 3, but we are being born into a new family, a spiritual family of which God himself is the father. So we can say God the father is our father because Christ is our brother and our high priest and our mediator, the author of our salvation. And again, I'll just keep saying this over and over again, it's not something of our own doing. It's a gift from God, as Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 tells us so plainly. That's why Jesus isn't ashamed to call us his brothers or his sisters, because it's not our actions that have made us that way. If it relied on us to become brothers of Christ, sons of the Father, we could never attain that. And even if, even if we could, it wouldn't be a secure relationship because one sin, one you know, tiny sin would knock us back down into enemies of God once again. But in the work of Christ, we can say once and for all that for those of us who have believed in Christ and repented of our sins and earnestly desire to follow him, all of which is a gift of God, we can say we are sons and daughters of God the Father, brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ who saved us. And this is rock solid, and we're being told that here in no uncertain terms, but the preacher of Hebrews is going to go on and use a few texts of Scripture to prove that point. In verse 12, the preacher cites from Psalm 22, which is a psalm of the resurrected Messiah singing with his brothers. The resurrected Messiah is telling of the name of the Father to his brothers, which is what Christ has done. He's, he's put us in relationship with God. We can know the name of Yahweh only through Christ. And so in the midst of the entire people that are saved, the brothers and sisters, the church, in the midst of them all, Christ sings God's praises. He leads us in the praise of God, not only in the praise of Christ himself, but praise of the Father and praise of the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, where it says, I will put my trust in him, there are actually several places in Scripture that use that idea, but I think one of the best for this purpose here is Isaiah 12, 2 which says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not dread, for Yah, Yahweh himself, is my strength and song. And it ties in, again, with 
with singing, uh, which came from the previous citation, but we'll trust. This is an ironclad promise, and as we saw before, all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. That's where the amen is located. So God is ultimately trustworthy with our soul, with our entire life. And then we get the familial language in that citation in verse 13. That's from Isaiah 8. Um, Isaiah 8, 18. Behold, I and the children whom Yahweh has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from Yahweh of hosts who dwells on Mount Zion. So we have that family language again, the idea of adoption. There are children given by God. Uh, especially in the spiritual sense when we speak of Christians, those who are reconciled to God by the blood of Christ. You know, a lot of people talk about, well, I'm a child of God, as as if simply in their humanity they can be called children of God. That may be true in a particular sense, I guess, because humanity is God's crowning achievement in creation on earth but they're not children of God in the ultimate sense because they are born under the curse of sin and are children of wrath, cosmic traitors against the holy God. So these children are people that are reconciled to God, who can truly call God their father because they have Christ as their brother, Christ as the author of their salvation. And to have that relationship is the culmination of a promise that can only be done through Christ, who is our mediator, who is our final sacrifice once for all time, who is our great high priest and advocate before the Father, even at this moment, who is divine, who is himself God, equal with God and with the Holy Spirit, with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. That is an absolutely glorious truth that we would do well to meditate on, perhaps a lot more than we often do. I know I'm guilty of that myself, so that's why meditating on Scripture is so important, because we can be so bogged down in our normal lives, our day-to-day responsibilities and necessities, that we don't take time to think about the transcendent glories that are the foundation of our life in the faith. So, dear listener, I want you to know that if you have placed your faith in Christ and you've repented of your sins— All of the promises of God find their yes in Christ for you, for you specifically, that Christ, your brother and advocate, is at the right hand of God, your Father and His Father, and He advocates for you even at this very moment, and that your soul, your entire life is being upheld by the word of His power at this very present moment and that you, empowered by his blood and by the indwelling Holy Spirit and his ministry to you, can go forward in your life as a testimony of his grace and mercy towards sinners and the life of the reconciled sinner who's eager to glorify God and enjoy him forever. All of that is powered by Jesus Christ. So I hope that this bit of meditation in the scripture has been helpful for you hopefully encouraging, maybe even challenging. Um, But I'd love to hear from you one way or another. Uh, If you check out the show notes, you can find my Twitter, which is Ref Meditations. You can also drop me a line directly by email at reformedmeditations at gmail.com. 
While you're also in the show notes, you really should check out the Bar Network because there is a whole host of wonderful shows and there seem to be more every day on the network. Uh, And you should also check out the Exiled House of Meme Lords who are memeing the Reformation one day at a time. And it is a wonderful thing. So thank you all for listening. And the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.